Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, New York Times reporter Katie Rogers and Washington Post reporter Dan Zach. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Every week, we start with a different song. We'll talk about this song in just a bit. But uh, first, as Aunt Betty said, and she called, she texted us yesterday and was like, are the names hard? And I was like, no, not this week. Uh, joining me here at NPR in Washington, D.C., Washington Post reporter Dan Zach. Thanks for coming in. Hi. So you finally got Dan on the show, huh? We did. We got Dan on the show. Um, How'd you pull that off? He just Listen, had to ask. Much, much <laughs> prayer and supplication. It took a lot of work. And friend of the show, you've heard her here before, BFF of the show, even. BFF. Katie Rogers from the New York Times, who just this week got a big promotion. Uh, tell us what happened in your work life. Oh, I'm joining uh, the White House team at the New York Times. So I'm going to be reporting on a lot of tweets, and there are going to be a lot of deadlines, and <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun. The New York Times' newest White House correspondent, Katie Rogers. I cannot wait to see you portrayed on SNL. Oh, great. (laughs) All right, so this song is from Radiohead, who I love. It's a song called The National Anthem. We're playing this Radiohead song because we're going to talk more about Radiohead later in the show. Uh And any excuse to play Radiohead is good enough for me. I saw them years ago at the Verizon Center here in D.C. That was called something else. And I was standing up for every song, singing along with all the words that I knew. They gave me life. The last concert I went to was Pat Benatar. So that that tells you all you need to know about me. (laughs) What year was this concert? It wasn't that long ago. It was at Wolf Trap. (laughs) All right. We are going to each describe how this week of news felt for us. In just three words. But before we get to that, we have to uh, speak of or speak around what is the elephant in the room. Um, Our president, President Trump, uh, is reported to have said some uh, pretty disparaging words about immigrants. I think that by the time listeners hear this show, either in their podcast feeds or on the radio, they'll have already heard the word in question several times. So I'm not going to say it. And I don't want to say it. We have seen the degradation, I think, of the discourse writ large over the last two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this tiny, tiny way, I am not going to let that that just happened degrade the discourse of this show. We're having fun today. Amen. Or at least something resembling. Yeah. Anyways. Um, a little more to, on that news event, which we'll talk more about throughout the show. Uh, the president said he wanted fewer immigrants from countries like El Salvador, Haiti, and African nations and wanted more from places like Norway. He tweeted again about Which is this. a word that matters, too. Sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. You, but, go ahead. You know, the, is there any other way that the subtext of, you know... Is there any what do you way? mean when you say Norway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not to mention Norway consistently ranks in like the top 10 of quality of life index countries. Norwegians we're, were they're not trying yes, to come here. Yeah. yeah, they're not trying to Norwegians come here. Norwegians are like, crack the top. we good. Thank you. And also this thing that Trump says that he wants more doctors and engineers and scientists coming into America. That logic fails to recognize that a lot of the people coming here from these countries he disparaged are coming to get the very advanced degrees that would make them those skilled workers, those doctors and engineers and scientists that he claims to want. So I'm going to leave it alone. I'm, I'm done with that. Um, but you know how I feel now. All right. Three words. Katie, you have three words. Uh, fire and fury. <laughs> still. <laughs> I mean, not still. It's, it's not even really related to Michael Wolff's book anymore. It's just watching the president react 
to the book and then kickstart entire news cycles, you know, opening up that bipartisan meeting for the the world to see him acting presidential. Which for a second had and everyone then, being like, oh, oh yeah. This is- and then, you know, and then there'll be some tweets a few hours later that has everyone wondering what was that entire meeting for. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday he gave an interview to the journal about his great relationship with Kim Jong-un. And Whoa. then the the comments were reported in the Washington Post and then by us what he said, you know, during yeah. that meeting. And I think he's just on this spiral day to day. And it, I, I think fire and fury is like oh, just yeah. the perfect well, way to describe this. And it's a constant spiral. Another thing that is going to give us another new Donald Trump news cycle is this physical he's having on Friday, the morning that we're taping this. Uh, Now that you cover this man for a living, Katie, (laughs) is there anything that we should expect from this besides his doctor saying he's the healthiest man of all time? So essentially, if the White House releases the sort of vitals that are in line with what President Obama and President Bush released, um, we might see... A change in weight. We might see, in other words, how... He's not going to tell us his real weight. We might see uh, his cholesterol. We might see basics like his height, his weight. The White House said yesterday during the briefing that they will release a detailed readout um, on Tuesday. So we'll know on Tuesday. Um, Unless he tweets in the meantime. um, He's also... He said yesterday that... You know, his physical better go well because, you know, the markets are watching. So <laughs> He I mean, said he, that? Oh, yeah. He's going to, I mean, there's reason to be skeptical that there will be any public, you know, there'll be any visibility into his into his health. I mean, he's just. Yeah. Here's my prediction. Heart rate, 100%. Yeah. Blood pressure, 100%. Yeah. Weight, all good. And, you know, the, everybody wants, to, wants answers to questions of his mental health. He has a family history of Alzheimer's. He's 71 years old. Um, but the White House has not said that um, there'd be any cognitive testing. Uh, but, I mean, okay. we might get something that takes us in another direction and starts an entirely different news cycle and discussion that we're not expecting. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Dan, you're up next. How would you describe this week of news in three words? President Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> mm, that seems like a year ago. Oh, my gosh. I know, I doesn't know. it? It happened just uh, Sunday and Monday. And I and I say those three words not as a endorsement, obviously, or a prediction even, um, but I think as a distillation of uh, how much has changed in the Trump era um, and how mm-hmm. desperate some people are for somebody on the other side of the spectrum to yes. believe in. Yeah. And just to catch folks up that were under a rock all, all week, the thing that threw off this political thirst trap for Oprah Winfrey, uh, she received, what was it, the Cecil? The Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden at Globes. The Golden Globes. Um, and she gave this um, pretty amazing eight or nine minute speech. It was an Iowa stump speech. I arrive into the newsroom on Monday morning. Editors would like us to do a story. That kind of games out, okay, let's say she does run. What are the harsh realities that confront her? You know, let's 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 make this concrete. Okay? She has to answer for Dr. Oz. Yep. For Dr. Phil. She has to answer for the secret. For Yadla. Yes. Um, she has to answer for a whole lot of things. But my surprise was, okay, let's call up some GOP strategists, some Democratic strategists, people who run campaigns, who know the harsh realities of what happens when you declare. And I was expecting to hear people throw cold water on this. Mm -hmm. But the first person I called, a Republican strategist who has worked on White House campaigns, uh, said if she were to jump in the race for 2020, there's a 100% chance that she would win. Wow. And I I said, oh, good grief. Republican saying A Republican saying It's also just that this is where our country, like, it's one thing for Donald Trump to be elected on this sort of reality TV celebrity background, but 
choosing another celebrity president, I, I just think about what that says about our new standard now and what that says to the world where we're electing reality stars and self-help guru- gurus, which is that what she is? She's a billionaire. I mean, <laughs> She's whatever. She's rich. But She's I mean, everything. Yeah. it's just it's an interesting message that we will send to the world if we did something like that, if we elected a president like her, that this is our new this wasn't a one time thing. We're oh, yeah. going to we're going yeah. with celebrities now. You know, the one thing I will say about that speech is I talked to Jerry Springer for this story. Oh, my God. I didn't end up, I didn't end up using Lord's him. I know. Here. He called me and it was too late. I was after deadline. But he said, <laughs> oh, sure, I'll talk to Jerry Springer. He was very insightful. Uh, and he said about her speech, you know, if she had given that speech during the Obama era or even before. You'd be like, OK, whatever. It would have been like, oh, yeah, that's what America is, this vision she's putting forward. But right now it feels so inflammatory. Mm-hmm. That to me really mm. says a lot that this was a kind of barnstorming speech about America's accepting and people should be equal and it's like it feels contra- it feels controversial. Well mm. also like a lot of people I think saw this speech and said to themselves oh wow she's very articulate she's been articulate forever. True. Yeah. You watch her show she's always good at this. Right. She's yeah. always Jerry good at Springer this Jerry Springer want to run for president? I, you know, I didn't Did ask, ask him? him. I didn't okay. ask him, no. When we start asking that question it's time to move on to the next thing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I have three words. Mm. Forests and trees. Yeah. <gasps> Sequoias. Sequoias. Mudslides yes. and oh. things on fire in California. Well, yeah, that for sure. Definitely want to send out um, our best wishes to everyone in California dealing with those mudslides um, on a truly epic and tragic scale. Well over a dozen people have already died. Dozens are missing. So we send our sincerest regards there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to talk forests and trees because on one issue this week, we have all collectively failed to see the forest for a tree. And I'm mm. talking about Russia. Um, I think a lot of listeners will probably not have seen the headline that pointed out that this week, Democrats in the Senate released a report on how Russia hacked our election last year. The report is 200 pages long. They had an exhaustive breakdown of how Putin's Russia has sought to undermine democracy in Europe and the U.S. and across the world. And in this report, there were 30 recommendations to safeguard our electoral process, working with allies, making new standards to address these cyber threats, new sanctions against countries that cyber attack us, an international summit on these kind of threats, uh, and a mutual defense system amongst allies against cyber attacks, focusing on social media companies, etc. They've laid out all this thing to prevent this stuff in the future. And we still, as a nation, I think, are talking about what Russia did last year. I mean, we're caught up on last year because we have a White House and a president who keeps bringing it up, bringing it up. And it's almost like we don't have the capacity to deal with this right now. It's like, It's like we can't do two things at once, and I kind of wish we could do two things at once. Like, it is totally fair to say, regardless of your party affiliation, it's important to get to the bottom of what happened last year. But it's also equally important to say, how do we prevent this from happening again? Right. I mean, the the issue here is that for... President Trump to talk about that, it, he would have to kind of um, I admit think, ad, admit or, or or he would kind of put forward implicitly the notion that perhaps that aided him in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. A little follow up. Um, on Friday, the AP reported that the same Russian government aligned hackers who were hacking the Democratic Party last year and in 2015, they've spent uh, several months recently laying the groundwork for what they're calling an espionage campaign against the U.S. Senate. Yeah, That's according to a leading cybersecurity firm. So 2018, it's going to be fun. Mm. All right, time for a quick... Don't you just hope that somebody somewhere is, is 
working on this or focusing on this. I'm going to need The Rock to just go over there and, like, fast and furious this. Can we commission that? J.J. Abrams? I don't know. Who should we call? Oprah. Uh, Probably Oprah. (laughs) All right, time for a quick break. Coming up, a long-distance call uh, with someone who may be affected very soon by the president's latest actions on immigration. Also, who said that? And a discussion of nuclear weapons. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery, but Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earn dollar for dollar. No caps and no cash. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cash back bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cashback match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. All right, before we get back to the show, I want your help for an upcoming episode. We've been planning for some time to have a really in-depth, meaty conversation about the Me Too movement. So we have one lined up. Uh, it's going to be featuring the legend NPR justice correspondent Nina Totenberg. Wow. Nina broke the Anita Hill story many years ago. And a lot of folks think that that was the original and first precursor to the moment we find ourselves in now. So we're going to have her on and also um, PBS correspondent Yamish Alcindor. She is uh, Katie's former colleague, right? She is wonderful. She is. She's been covering the ins and out of the White House now and how Capitol Hill has been responding to the Me Too movement. So the three of us are going to talk about men and Me Too and all of that stuff. But we want your help. Send us questions uh, on these topics. Uh, email us a recording of your question. Send the file to samsanders at npr.org by next week, uh, and we'll talk about it. Again, Nina Totenberg, Yamiche Alcindor, talking Me Too. All right. Thanks. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders talking this week with Dan Zak, reporter for The Washington Post, and Katie Rogers, reporter for The New York Times. All right, before we get back into it, quick yes or no question. There's a new trend. Well, not even really new anymore. It's been around for a few years, but we just saw it this week, so it's new to us. Um, it is called the Backward Bookshelf. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah. Yes. Basically, you Ugh. display all of the books on your shelf with the spine in and the pages out because you think it looks pretty. Yes or no, would you ever? No. No. <laughs> like, agreed. We're not sociopaths. No. It's I organize like... my books by color. Oh, that's cute. I just also think that you're, the point of having books is to show your books. And Come on. To look at your books and feel happy about your books. And you can't see that the other way or if you flip them the other way around. Well, I think also if, so you're, if you're doing that, you're kind of tacitly or not so tacitly announcing to your guests that books are not there for reading. They're, right. de- they're decorative. They're not yeah. functional in any way. True. And I think that's wrong. True. I think that's wrong, too. I think that's wrong, too. All right. So three you're for no? three. Three for three. Yeah, yeah. no, don't do that. All right, now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. This is where we call a listener somewhere in the world and talk with them about their week in their neck of the woods. Today on the line, we're talking to a listener in Philadelphia, but she is from El Salvador, and she has had temporary protected status to stay in this country since 2001. Her name is Carla. Carla, you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Trying to make it. Um, So we're calling you because uh, President Trump made a big announcement this week, and he's ending a program that has helped about 200,000 Salvadorans. It's called Temporary Protected Status, and it has allowed Salvadorans to come into the U.S. and stay for a while. Um, How has this affected your family? Um, You know, it's it's, it was actually quite a relief for me. Um, I am a nursing supervisor, and I did not want to, you know, leave my job. But I recently was married. My husband is a citizen. Okay, so, so you're going to be able um, to... I, yes, I started the process. It's going to take a little while, but I will be able to um, legalize myself. But I do have my mother who only has TPS, mm. and we are afraid of what's going to happen with her. How long have you I guys been have... here? Um, my mom has been here almost 22 years, and I've been here almost 21. So, and so you so, both have been here that whole time on on TPS. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What happens to your family so, if your mother has to go? Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a strain on me because I do have, um, I do have three younger siblings, but one's 20, 25, um, my other one's 15, and my little sister is 10. How old are you? Um, I'm 29. I forgot to say, you're also talking with my friends, Dan and Katie. Hi. Hi, Carla. How are you? It's okay. <laughs> so you'll become um, their parent, should your mother go? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, we were actually looking into, well, she's already looking to see if she can give me guardianship. Mm. Um, um, but I'm sorry, we're, I'm still at work, so. No, it's okay. Hold on, I'm just trying to figure good. out. Maybe Christina? Sorry, we're trying to, still in the office. I get it. You got to do what you got to so, do. <laughs> yes. So, yes, um. Yeah, so we're looking into that, which is, um, you know, I always help my mother anyway. So, and my younger siblings, they call me their second mom. But um, actually being a parent, I, I'm not a parent yet. So, yeah. um, and the thought that my mother had to leave and not only worry about how she's going to survive in a country that she hasn't been there for almost 22 years. Um, right. What is alone. there for your mother? I mean, what what is... Nothing, to be honest. I mean, we do have family, but as far as the... Um, you know, the, the finances, the, the, the style of life. Like, my mother lives in a pretty good neighborhood here in Pennsylvania. Um, my brother and sister go to a great public schools. Um, there's no way, I can tell you that there's no way I would take my brother and sister out of the school district. And my brother, my little brother, he's in advanced classes, honor classes. Like, I know that I would have to take on all that responsibility um, to all, not only keep them here, but then to try to, you know, make this... Um, Decision less and like the less impact they can have on their life. Yeah. It's not their fault. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's nothing for my mom there. So I don't know. She's, you know, she's just contemplating, you know, are we going to, is she going to have to go into hiding? Because there's another possibility too. We haven't discussed that. We'd rather not her do that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what's her life going to be down yeah. and there? I mean, what would you, what would you say to somebody who, who looks at, your situation in really broad and generalized terms and says, oh, this is a matter of not being able to take care of everybody, and this is a matter of security, and this is a matter of, you know, getting back to our American ideals. How would you respond to somebody who says that about um, what you're going through? I really say, you know, people who have DPS, you have to have your background check every 18 months. So if something pops up, it gets denied. Mm-hmm. So my thing is, you know, we are we're working hard. We're, we're paying into the taxes. And then people are like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're living off our welfare. I'm like, no, technically, I'm paying into your welfare. I'm paying into your Medicaid. I'm paying these taxes. Yet, if I need a food stamps, I cannot get them because I'm not a citizen. 
I said, I can't get unemployment. I can't get any type of government assistance because I'm not a citizen. But yet every time you take money out of my taxes. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand you want to get rid of the so-called criminals. But at the same time, I'm like these are not criminals. So we are not criminals. Um, we are contributing to society, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, Carla, what are you going to do for fun this weekend to take your mind off of some of this stress? Um, actually turning 30 this weekend. So oh, I man. Happy birthday. <laughs> 30s are you. great. Yes, I, <laughs> yes we are going to be going to my husband's Christmas party from his office. And then Christmas um, party It's January. Yes, I know. It's a little late, but it's okay. <laughs> <They're> celebrating early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll be doing that. And then, um, Sunday, I think I'm just going to type of relax and hang out. Um, huh? maybe go adopt another puppy. So <gasps> what kind of puppy? Uh, any rescue. I like rescue. So, you already have a puppy right now? Um, I do. I do have one. She's what kind? a chihuahua mix. Um, oh. Jack Russell mix, actually. Oh. So we're going to get her a sister, hopefully, this Yay. weekend. And, yeah. Send us pictures, okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Carla, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. All right. Thank you. All thank right. you. Bye, Carla. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I mean, just while we're talking about immigration policy, uh, there have been some updates to another uh, program that's been under scrutiny right now, DACA. This is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which allows some 800,000 people to not be deported uh, if they came here um, as children. This week, Congress and President Trump have been going back and forth about some DACA fix. And in the midst of that, a federal judge said that Trump's plan to rescind DACA needs to be halted until all of the lawsuits over this program work their way through the courts. Um, So there's a group of bipartisan senators that say they might have a fix, but nothing of what they said seems to indicate that there is widespread support in both chambers for this. Well, it was looking it was actually looking pretty good earlier this week. Didn't you didn't you think that maybe they could work something out after the bipartisan meeting? Yeah. And and I just wonder how these these comments are going to either torpedo it or send, you know, just inflame everybody on both sides again. And and the interesting thing is that DACA really seemed to be the one soft spot that President Trump had. had. Even during the campaign, he said he didn't want to see kids being deported. Right. Basically, many questions remain. Listeners want to call you for this segment. You can drop us a line. Tell me about what's going on where you live. Uh, We might call you back. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. Now it's time for our main story. And I got to preface this by saying, Dan, we brought you here just for this. Uh, Little known fact, besides being a literal jack-of-all-trades reporter for the Washington Post style section, Dan Zak has kind of carved out his own little mini-beat and mini place of expertise at the Post. He is one of the Washington Post resident experts on nuclear weapons. He even has a book about nukes. What's it called? It's called Almighty, Courage, Resistance, and Existential Peril in the Nuclear Age. That's what you call a great book title. Really? I don't know about that. I was against <laughs> having a subtitle at all. And, you have to And do we that. came up with that one. Um, so anyways, I wanted to talk nukes this week because uh, this nuclear confrontation between North Korea and Donald Trump has been going on for some time. But this week, uh, there were conversations and talks, not quite about nukes, but talks between North Korea and South Korea, which might seem to indicate a change. 
Am I reading too much into the fact that North and South are talking, Dan? Um, yeah, perhaps. I mean, they, they, they've <laughs> talked before. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, you might be kind of, um, it might be easy to interpret this as talks that were prompted by President Trump's rhetoric around this. Um, but also, you have to remember that the Olympics are coming up in South Korea. And North Korea wants to go. And North Korea wants to go. Yeah. To what extent has Donald Trump tweeting uh, so vociferously about nukes and North Korea's leader, has that spoken to the truth of how dire the situation is? Or has it actually covered up a lot of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes? Like in spite of Trump's tweets, right, there has still been back channel diplomacy in some capacity happening between North Korea and the U.S.? Well, I think I, I look at what President Trump is saying as kind of a break with almost every president before him. He, the way he tweets about nuclear weapons is the way the Kim regime has talked. Mm. The Kim regime has talked about reducing the American mainland to ashes and darkness, which okay. is kind of similar sounding to fire and fury, the origin of which mm-hmm. is Trump talking about what would be visited upon North Korea yeah. if they were to do something. Something out of line. Fire and fury like the world has never seen before. Yeah. Presidents don't usually talk like this. Uh, you know, you had Eisenhower uh, talking about how you can't have a nuclear war. There wouldn't be enough bulldozers to scrape the bodies off the streets. You have JFK talking about the sort of Damocles hanging over everyone's head. You have Reagan saying a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. You have Obama winning a Nobel Peace Prize, mm. partly because we should seek the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons. And you have President Trump saying, my button's bigger than yours. And he's fun- really the first president in modern times to talk about these weapons like they're of an actual option. Uh I, you know, I think that is uh, I think that is true, mostly. I mean, there was reports during the campaign of Trump saying, well, if we have these weapons, why can't we use them? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can go back to it's Nixon. kind of a good point. Yeah, well, it, it's an interesting point because nuclear weapons are kind of designed not to be used. I mean, there's so many paradoxes within mm-hmm. the nuclear weapons realm that they have to be super powerful, super ready, super effective so they can be a deterrent to using them. Um, But Trump asking that question allegedly during the campaign brings up kind of the inner paradox of nuclear weapons. Of course, you can go back to Nixon, who reportedly said in one closed Watergate hearing something about, I can leave this room and in minutes, 25 to 70 million people will be dead. So I don't think Trump is is alone and kind of talking about the use of nuclear weapons like that. But he's certainly, I think, the first. I mean, Twitter wasn't around when Richard Nixon there's was talking about that. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the public visibility around this mm-hmm. is certainly yeah. very sort of the cavalier yeah. nature of, yeah. of yeah. that Yes, cavalier is a good discussion. word here. One of the big questions I think that we don't have an answer for yet is to what extent is Donald Trump actually changing America's nuclear policy? The rhetoric has clearly changed. Well, it's kind of fortuitous that we're talking uh, Thursday night, the president's nuclear posture review was leaked to Which the Huffington is... Post. The nuclear posture review is a document uh, issued by each White House uh, saying essentially, here's why we have nuclear weapons today and here's how we would use them. Mm-hmm. And Obama's nuclear posture review came out in 2010 and mm-hmm. uh, Trump's is supposed to officially come out after his State of the Union. Mm-hmm. A copy leaked last night. And while the why of why we have nuclear weapons kind of is nearly the same as the Obama posture review. 
the how is different. How different? Uh, well, so Trump's nuclear posture review, which he asked General Mattis, Secretary of DOD, to um, furnish, basically kind of widens the scenarios we would use them for mm. and also calls for a broader range of capabilities. So um, he's asking for more nukes and more reasons to use nukes? To put it crudely, yes. Okay. Uh, the Obama nuclear posture said we are going to, we, the U.S., are going to reduce the role of nuclear weapons in our national security strategy. Mm-hmm. And then this thing that leaked from the Trump White House saying, kind of revised that and says, we, after 25 years, are back to great power competition. Like but, a nuclear arms race? Well, uh, back to uh, we're facing threats in Russia and China. And I've talked to experts in in D.C., nuclear experts, who say we're in a new kind of arms race, not in terms of the number hmm. of weapons, nuclear hmm. weapons that we have. Used to, there used to be 70,000 on the planet. We're now down to 14 or 15,000. Huh. So the numbers have gone down, but we're in a race now of capabilities, mm. um, how we can deliver these weapons to their targets, diversifying that, and also diversifying the impact of these weapons. The posture review that Trump uh, uh, has commissioned is talking about what are called low-yield nuclear weapons. You know, we think of nuclear weapons as these things that destroy entire cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Trump nuclear posture review is asking for other low-yield capabilities to deter Russia's own investment in lower yield. They're, called, they're also called tactical nukes or battlefield mm-hmm. nukes. I think a lot of folks listening would find it interesting that the U.S. in this posture review is asking for more capabilities against Russia. Right uh, now under under Trump. Uh, yeah, for sure. And and the Obama posture review said we are going to modernize our arsenal, which is aging, the warheads and the subs and bombers and missiles that we use to deliver the warheads. Um, but we're not going to, in, in modernizing, we are not going to introduce any new capabilities. Mm. And here we have a posture review that says we, the, the world is ever more complex. Mm-hmm. Our adversaries are modernizing in ways that do introduce new capabilities. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to do the same. Yeah. Of all the asks that he has in this posture review, how much of it will he actually get? Does it have to be approved by Congress and budgeted or what? Yeah. I mean, Congress is the is the check on this. Nuclear weapons cost money um, to maintain them, to deploy them, to modernize them. Um, and it all comes down to does Congress authorize it and then do they appropriate for mm-hmm. it? Do they fund it? Um, so we'll see. I mean, we are embarking right now on a $1.2 trillion modernization hmm of our arsenal already already and so do these new capabilities the white house is saying we need how much does that add to the price tag and and does congress think that it's worth it one of the things i've wondered in the last several months of a lot of discussion about nukes because of things like trump's tweets is how much has trump highlighted a situation that has always been really precarious we just haven't talked about it. Oh, it's been like night and day. I mean, uh, you I'm know. I'm also curious about the criticism about he's repeatedly said we haven't been hard enough. You know, yeah. how much uh, how much of the blame he is placing on previous administrations is actually perhaps valid. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, President Obama was uh, his first speech abroad was about nuclear weapons. President mm-hmm. Obama wrote his senior thesis at Columbia in 1983 about disarmament and nuclear. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. President Obama was thinking about nuclear weapons from his earliest days of academia. Um, And he wrote an article for a student newspaper at Columbia saying we need a peace that is authentic, long-lasting, and non-nuclear. This is in 1983. 
you know, cut to 20, 25 years later, he's the guy with the nuclear launch codes now. Mm. Um, and what does he do? He gives a speech that says we need a world without nuclear weapons. We need to seek that world. Mm. At the same time, he realizes that our arsenal is aging and for it to be safe, we need to modernize it. And so in exchange for the ratification of New START, our treaty with Russia about nuclear weapons, he endorses a what becomes a $1 trillion modernization of it. Um, so Donald Trump comes into the situation and all of a sudden his opponents are making we're not talking about other people's nuclear weapons like the ones North Korea has or the one Iran doesn't have yet but might in the future. We're talking about our own because, as Hillary Clinton brought up, uh, it's a question of temperament. There's one person who's in charge of our nuclear weapons, and it is the president of the United States. And so when you have opponents introducing temperament uh, into this, do you trust this man to make a wise decision in a short amount of time uh, about nuclear weapons? Then you start getting to the fundamental authority with which we invest in the person who's leading the country. The fundamental authority is control over an arsenal that could end the world. And I think the personality of Trump has forced us to grapple with that in a way that President Obama did not. Yeah. And what is the time frame? Like, wh- how? what is the span of time where he would have to decide to do something? Well, it's minutes if you're talking yeah. about some kind of incoming volley from Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a kind of a Cold War scenario. But if, if you have a volley of incoming intercontinental ballistic missiles from a power like Russia that are designed to devastate our arsenal, uh, you need to use them before they're destroyed. And uh, it's minutes. It's minutes long. And, and my argument is... You know, people ask me when I talk about this, do you trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes? And I I always answer, I don't think I trust any single person Mm -hmm. with the authority Mm. to launch something that could end an Mm. entire country or the entire world. I mean, what happens even if you do, it's mutual destruction, right? Like, what is the point? We're back to the paradox of nuclear weapons because you have to have that threat out there. You have to have that threat out there to deter that action. But what happens when that action occurs? Last really, really quick question. One of the things that always bugs me when I see reports about nuclear weapons and North Korea and Trump's tweets is the amount of stuff that, like, we kind of get wrong. Like, we talk about the button. There actually is no button. Right. What is one more nuclear misconception that is your pet peeve? You know, this is kind of a, a wonky answer to that question, but, you know, a lot of people say we haven't used nuclear weapons since 1945. Um, when we dropped them on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, that's simply not true. Really? We, no. We, huh. we've, we've, we've had hundreds and hundreds of nuclear tests, oh. uh, nuclear detonations in Nevada. In um, Wait, in nuclear the, tests in Nevada? Yes, yes. <laughs> 40 miles north of Vegas, people used to go on the roofs of casinos with cocktails and watch the flashes so of light. That is it's so Vegas. We, we used even more giant bombs in the Pacific Ocean, huh. places like the Marshall Islands. Oh, uh, how many subs are carrying around nukes right now? Well, That's there's a crazy fact. Well, there's 14 uh, Ohio class submarines. I believe like 10 are always on rotation in the Atlantic and the Pacific. But that's just one leg of what of what they call the nuclear triad. Uh, and so lurking in the oceans are these Trident submarines with mm. missiles that carry warheads, multiple warheads, each of which has 30 times the force of the Hiroshima bomb. Wow. That's fascinating. And also you have weapons experts in Washington who say we use nuclear weapons every second of every day mm. because they supposedly deter Mm. other people from using them. So we should be thinking about them all the time. Yeah. Uh, There is a lot more to be known about America and nuclear weapons. uh, And Dan Zak talks a lot more about it in his book, which is called, one more time, Almighty, Courage, Resistance, and Existential Peril in the Nuclear Age. Uh, All right, we're going to lighten the mood soon with my favorite game, Who Said That? I was going to ask if that's still a thing. (laughs) It's still a thing. BRB. 
hey, Washington, D.C., want to tell you about a really cool thing happening this month that I want you to be a part of. I want you to come hang out with me for an evening. Uh, I'm doing a live show with Lauren Ober. She's the host of The Big Listen. It's actually a Big Listen live show that I'm taking part of. We had Lauren on our show a few weeks back, and she's just delightful and fun. Uh, I'm going to be her guest at her live show. It's going to be an evening of storytelling, interviews, music, and free beer. It's on January 25th at the WeWork Apollo on 7th Street Northeast here in D.C. Tickets are at wamu.org slash events. I look forward to sharing a free beer with you. Sanders and Ober, that's going to be electric. What's our couple name? Sober. Sober. (laughs) We are back. You guys, are you ready? Are you excited about this? It's my favorite game. Ooh, and this and that. You know this, August. I'm ready. I'm really good at this game. No big deal. He's going to beat me now that I said that. I'm ready to be humiliated. <laughs> Listen, there's no humility. I mean, That's going to well, be the title of my book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to be humiliated. I'll All write right. the foreword. <laughs> you guys know how this works. The game is so simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three today. If you don't know who said that, just tell me what story I'm talking about. Just get close. As you know, the winner gets absolutely nothing. So deal with it. Mm. Ready? You can have my empty Chobani. <laughs> First quote. Millennials are now thirstier than ever for adventures and new experiences, and we want to be right by their side. Diet Coke? Yeah. Whoa. Uh. (laughs) Uh. She's so good at this. So that quote is from Rafael Acevedo. He is the group director for Diet Coke here in North America, and he was talking about this whole line of new flavors that Diet Coke is rolling out this week. Here's the list. Tell me if you like it. Ginger lime, feisty cherry, Zesty blood orange and twisted mango. Zesty blood? No. They're just trying to be like, oh, everybody's obsessed with LaCroix or LaCroix or however you say it. LaCroix. I I just want to know what, not to bring this back to the president, but I mean, he is someone who (laughs) enjoys many Diet Cokes. Would he drink the new flavors? I don't, probably not. What Mm. if he ends up with six buttons? One for each flavor of Diet Coke. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Katie's up one nil. Hmm. One zed. One zip. Keep rubbing it in. I know, I know. Next quote. And I've substituted the words them and they to cover up the integral clues. Okay? Okay. Although I know my song wasn't inspired by them, they feel it was and want 100% of the publishing. I offered up to 40 over the last few months, but they will only accept 100. Who said that? It's about music. Justin Timberlake? No. Taylor Swift. No. Justin Bieber. This is no. really familiar, and it's like right there in my brain. It's in the news this in week. My brain. It's a lawsuit. There was a reason I played what I played earlier in the show. Pat Benatar. Stop. Radiohead? Close enough. Well, that was like... Have you guys heard about this? No. No. Lana Del Rey and Radiohead might be going to court. There are allegations now that her new song, Get Free, sounds too much like the classic Radiohead song, Creep. I don't care about this. Stop. I love Radiohead. Trial of the Century. Can we play it? Fine. <laughs> I love this song. This is the one Radiohead song I know. Gives me all the feels. It's like we're in a Can dorm room. Can we play room. TLC now instead? Oh. I don't know. I'd throw this case out. Yeah. It's the same chords. Exactly. Oh, tons of songs are the same chords. Yeah. There's only yeah. so many chords. Right. Only so many combinations. I mean, so the, well, here's the wrinkle. So, after, so that was a quote from Lana Del Rey's 
tweet about all of this. She said, also in that tweet, quote, it's true about the lawsuit. Their lawyers have been relentless, so we will deal with it in court. Since that, Radiohead clapped back and said, oh, honey, no, we have not filed a lawsuit. We're just talking to your people. Chill. So now they're talking. I hope they figure it out. I think they're both doing this for publicity. I think it's orchestrated. Radiohead is pure of heart. Says you. (laughs) Third quote is... In order to make the interactive functions of this ad work, we had to make several technical advancements. Who said that? This was the wackiest story of the week. It involved an interactive ad. Clue? They have great Swedish meatballs. Ikea? Yes. Oh, oh, it was the thing about women having to pee <laughs> on something oh. to prove they're pregnant so they can get a coupon for cribs. That is right? exactly what? We should give the point to Dan. Yeah. That's so, fine. <laughs> It doesn't matter. You, still you can have it. it. Yeah. So th- this was uh, that quote was from a statement from a rep for an ad agency that actually helped make a magazine ad for IKEA. The ad is very weird. It was an ad for a crib, and if you pee on the ad, it will tell you if you're <laughs> pregnant. And if you take the coupon that shows that you're pregnant into the IKEA, you get a special discount. What if you found out you were pregnant by messing around? And then being... you have bigger problems. Yes. But you get a crib, you know, a discount. That's nice. I just how much is the discount? That's what I. <laughs> All I'm saying is no. How do you? Where's the? Where do you pee? Do you have to pee in the out in the open? You can take I get, it to the bathroom. I, I like guess. peeing on paper and it turns a color like a yeah. traditional. Like it's like that's yeah. part. Is it part of the coupon? Yeah. Like I'm handing in a. The pregnancy coupon? test is in the coupon. This just seems what? like a lot of work for all parties. Yeah. You know? Anyone out there listening? If you have tried this ad, I want to know. Get at me. All right, game's over. Katie won. You get nothing. How do you feel? I feel really good. Thank you. <laughs> Just happy to be here. I yes. be magnanimous and say I feel good for Katie as well. Oh, you're full of compliments. <laughs> but I want to rematch at some point in the future. Oh, we'll okay. do it. Okay, Katie, Dan, we're almost done. But first, I want to plug our episode from this past Tuesday in your podcast feed. I talked to Elon Gale. He is one of the executive producers on two shows you may have heard of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Now, I know what you're saying as soon as I said those show names. You think you know all that you need to know about what reality TV is and what the folks that make it are. I got to say, every part of this conversation totally upended what I thought he would be, what I thought those shows would be. Um, We got really deep on a lot of stuff. Uh, It was all about his new book, this kind of anti-self-help book. I think that negative emotions are incredibly motivating. Contentment is wonderful. It's not motivating. And if you're happy with where you are in life, if you're really, truly happy, then you don't need this book and you don't need this philosophy at all. Beyonce don't read this book. Beyonce does not need this book. In fact, I reference Beyonce in the book saying we can't all be Beyonce. We're not all Beyonce. We're not going to be Beyonce. But you can try. Elon Gale, no Beyonce, but he makes for a really fun chat. Check it out in your podcast feed behind this episode. All right, it's now time to end the weekly wrap, as we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to send us a recording of their own voices sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage everyone to brag, and they always do. Let's hear them now. Brent, hit it. Hey, Sam. This is Madeline from Alabama. The best part of my week was seeing my mom sitting on her couch with my cat curled up in her lap. She has been in the hospital for five weeks, meaning that we've spent the holidays in the hospital. that's tough. But seeing her back home was such, it was just such a great moment. Glad she's home. 
Hi, Sam. This is Drew from Pickerton, Ohio. Hey, man. The best thing that happened to me this week was I just got settled into my room in Berlin. I'm here for a study abroad program for six months, nice. and I'm so excited to explore Germany and see what Europe has to offer. Enjoy it. Yes, Berlin. Hey, Sam. This is Lauren from Orange County, California. Hi. And the best thing that happened to me this week was that my mom came down to hang out with me after I broke up with a boyfriend. <laughs> yes. Aww. Hi, Sam. This is Lisa from Portland, Maine. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I got to go over to the United Kingdom and visit my daughter, who is eight months pregnant, and help her put the finishing touches on the nursery that will be used for my very first grandchild. Where'd she get her crib? Does she need a crib? (laughs) Hi, Sam. This is Josh from Houston, Texas. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I just got back from a few days uh, with some of the college students from our church, and we spent our time rebuilding houses that were affected by Hurricane Harvey. Oh, that's awesome. We had a great time working together, bonding together, and uh, just trying to get our community back on its feet. Lots of travel. Hi, Sam. This is Marcy from Pittsfield, Massachusetts. The best thing that happened to me this week was last weekend when I turned 60 years old and I was together with my husband and our two extraordinary daughters. These wonderful women had broken into my email account so that they could reach out to contacts from all throughout my life, middle school, college, previous jobs, family members. They solicited birthday greetings and then they compiled them into this beautiful book it's filled with stories and wishes and memories and lots of love and great photographs. And it is something that I will cherish forever. That's so cool. Yes, but change your password. <laughs> Hello, Sam and friends. My name is Sydney. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Sydney. And the best thing that happened to me this week might not seem like the best thing, but... Um, I am currently event managing a kid's show at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. Very cool. And it happens to land on the same day as the one-year anniversary of my dad dying. Oh. Which you think would make me sad, but I keep looking out on the faces of all the kids and their dads. And it reminds me of all the amazing memories I have with mine. Mm. And it just makes me feel so much that his role in my life was such a blessing. And it continues to be a blessing now. Oh, sweet. Thank you for sharing that, Sydney. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, and God bless. Love the show. Bye. You have the best listeners. Our listeners are a good bunch. Your show's giving me chills. I know. I love the fact that our listeners travel so much and have really awesome moms. They do have good parents, and and they're well-traveled. That's true. Uh, Thanks to all the voices you heard just there. Uh, Madeline, Drew, Lauren, Lisa... Josh, Marcy, and Sydney. And Sydney, as someone who lost my father as well, um, I admire your tenacity in the face of that. Uh, it does get better. All right, we hear all of those that come in. We wish we had time to play all of them. We don't, but we listen to them here. So send yours. Keep sending these to us. We love them. Uh, there are some listeners out in the world that have heard this show since its start and have yet to send me the sound of their voice. They should just do that, right? That's rude. Just do it. Just do it. Come on. Uh, Something good, whatever it is, tell me about it. Share it with us. Email it to samsanders at npr.org. Now to a band that I'm going to make the two of you love, too, Radiohead. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? I feel like we should just say yes. I'm processing, yes. Wait for the the drums. It's going to take a while. There it is. Anyway. Okay. You feel that? Yeah, it's all right. Okay. All right. 
This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and we had editing help this week, uh, not just from Steve, but also from Jeff Rogers. Our big boss, VP of programming here at NPR, is Anya Grundman. Um, and our stars for the day, Katie and Dan. Thank y'all. Thank you, Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. This is fun. This is fun. This Happy is weekend. Fun. <laughs> Happy Friday. We all day. We made it. Listeners, okay. refresh your feeds Tuesday morning for a conversation with Kevin Young. Kevin Young is the poetry editor of The New Yorker. He also has a new book out called Bunk, and it is all about fake news before we had a word for such a thing. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you, Radiohead, for being great. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.